New Mexico State Cookie getting up at 4 a.m. for a hot air balloon ride and 40 years of friendship over a cup of coffee. This week, it's Darley Newman and season 10 of Travels with Darley. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This is where we explore all the great food this wonderful little planet has to offer at DestinationEatDrink.com and the Destination Eat Drink podcast. This week on the show, it's award-winning TV host and producer, Darley Newman. But first, if you enjoy listening to Destination Eat Drink, be sure to subscribe to the show. That way you'll never miss any of our great foodie travel shows. Darley Newman is the creator of the PBS show Travels with Darley, now in its 10th season. Darley was on the podcast last week talking about Bordeaux, and she's back with more adventures from the new season of her show. We talk about craft beer in Santa Fe, New Mexico. A giant shepherd's pie as big as your head, and the best poutine in Quebec. Plus, Darley tells me about a delightful coffee tradition in Turkaye. And I share a bit about coffee culture here in Portugal. Okay, I'm starving, so let's eat. Destination, eat, drink. Darlene Newman, thanks for returning to Destination Eat Drink. We just had John talking about one of my fl- my favorite places, Bordeaux, France. I tend to get a little long-winded when we talk about Bordeaux, so we went long. I said, let's come back and talk a little bit more about the latest season of Travels with Darlie and all the other great places that you went to. So thanks for agreeing to come back. Thanks, Brent. It's always fun. I love talking about food with you. It's making me hungry at the moment, though. I need to, <laughs> I'm going to need to eat after this. <laughs> As I say, that's my job, uh, making people <laughs> hungry. Um, so some of the other places that you visited on this latest season of Travels with Darley are some of my favorite places as well, and a couple places I've never been to. So I'm excited to jump in with you. Let's talk about one of my favorite places first, which is Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, This is a place my parents used to go to back in the 70s. They loved it for the artwork. Uh, My mom was a big Georgia O'Keeffe fan. I remember we had Georgia O'Keeffe prints hanging in the house when I was a little kid. But uh, when I went to Santa Fe, I was loving being there and trying all the great uh, food, especially trying the craft beer. I know you're a fan of craft beer. What was your experience like? Oh, and I, I love, I've been to Santa Fe many, many times now. Love it. And, and Georgia O'Keeffe, I, you know, I did go to Ghost Ranch too, which is one of the places that inspired a lot of her works and where she lived for a number of years. So really cool episodes coming out on Santa Fe, but the beer Beer when you're traveling is actually another cool thing to taste to get to know the area because usually it's made with the local water. And I went to Santa Fe Brewing Company, actually two of their outposts. One was along the Turquoise Trail, which is a scenic byway route that you can drive. 
And along that route, there was the old mining town of Madrid. There's a place called Origami in the Garden where you can take in art. And then you can make a stop at Santa Fe Brewing Company. It's another small business that has expanded and is really popular within New Mexico, the beer you can buy throughout the state. And Brian Locke is the owner. I got to sit down with him and try the local craft beer. We took a walk through their factory there to see how they're you know, packaging everything and their unique uh, kind of Southwestern flair on the beer cans. And he was explaining that this beer is made with their local well water. And that just like anything else, the local water, of course, that's, you know, making up a, a lot, a large percentage of that beer in there. And it really just has a different identifier, a different taste. If you were to take water from New York state, of course, it would be different. So the local water plays into the taste for the beer there. And it reminded me of um, my New York bagels because everyone says New York bagels are better because they're made in New York with the New York water. So kind of a similar right, thing. Right. Yeah, when you're trying beer in different places. And I tried one of their local IPAs, um, which he called like a tropical IPA, but it was their number one selling. So I was trying kind of the mainstream hoppy um, flagship beer. And it was really good. The fun thing about visiting this place is that it's really large. They actually have a number of events there and there's sometimes there's live music in the back. Um, but there's an outdoor area if you want to be outside um, and different games outside that you can play. There's an indoor area to sit at more of a bar setting. Um, you can kind of look into the factory from the indoor area. And uh, there's also a food truck on the property. And I, we had tacos with, you know, different chili peppers. And, and that is a great thing to try and to chase with the beer. <laughs> so when you have something hot, you have your beer with it. And I thought it was really a fun stop to just get a sense of the area and, and again, what makes trying a craft beer unique there. But I also did go to the break room, which is right downtown in Santa Fe. And that's housed in an old cabin that the railroad brakemen used to sleep in in the early 1900s. If you're in Santa Fe, there is uh, there's Sky Railway, which I did, which is um, George R.R. R. Martin has taken this old railway, the Santa Fe Railway, and revitalized it into this adventure train experience. So I basically went and did the break room, which had a railroad component because the brakemen used to sleep there and it still, still has an old tin ceiling and tried the Santa Fe Brewing Company beer there and then went on the train, which the train has local beers they're serving as well. So if you want to do beer tasting, there's a lot of options in the Santa Fe area. They actually have an ale trail. They have a chocolate trail. They have a margarita trail. So if you like food and drinks, there's a lot of options to hop around and try different things when you're in the area and it's really accessible and easy to find. Yeah. And the thing I like about Santa Fe, you can visit the breweries and you definitely should. But the thing I really like is you can go into any bar or tavern or restaurant and undoubtedly they will have some of these local beers on tap. And you don't always see that, you know, in a, in a lot of other cities. You know, you go to a city and they'll say, oh, this is a great place for craft beer. But you walk into a bar and, you know, there's Budweiser or whatever. Santa Fe really walks the walk, I think, when it comes to uh, supporting the craft brewers that are in the city and in the area. Yeah. And actually, um, I'm going to mispronounce a little bit, but Gruyere, have you heard? It's G-R-U-E-T, I believe. Is there? There's a local New Mexican wine that's become really popular. And I tried it when I was in Santa Fe at a 
and there's a downtown tasting room housed in an old hotel. And that's because it's, I see it on menus all the time, all around the country. So there's, there are things coming out of New Mexico in the wine and beer realm that have really kind of gone, I would say a little more mainstream and they're very tasty. So they're doing a good job with food and drinks and Santa Fe and New Mexico in general. One thing that I wanted to bring up was the um, the thing in Santa Fe is they have this little culinary oddity there called the uh, Frito pie. Um, did you did you happen to see the Frito pie? Did you happen to try the Frito pie when you were in Santa Fe, Darley? I don't know the Frito pie, and that's surprise. I try. I I didn't know until this trip about Bisco Cheetos, and that's a whole thing in New Mexico. So there's a lot of food products that I, and I've been so many times that I probably haven't heard of. What is what is the Frito pie? Okay, so I'm going to tell you about Frito Pie and you're going to tell me about Bisco Cheetos because I don't know what that is. So Frito Pie originated at this little uh, place in downtown Santa Fe called the Five and Dime General Store. And basically what it is, and it's still there, the place is still there. What they do is they take a bag of Fritos, like one of those little individual plastic size bags of Fritos. They cut it open and they ladle chili on top. And then they hand you a spoon and and you eat it like that. And wow. it's um, I, the last time I was there. This will tell you how long it's been since I've been to Santa Fe. Um, the locals were up in arms because Anthony Bourdain had just done an episode of his show in Santa Fe, and he had compared a Frito pie to the and pardon me, but this is how he described it. So uh, to the contents of a colostomy bag. So um, <laughs> people locally were were not happy with Anthony Bourdain. And he subsequently, I think he walked, he walked that back a little bit. But anyway, now you can find Frito Pie in Santa Fe at other places besides the five and ten. There's even a vegan version of, uh, of the Frito Pie in Santa Fe. So next time you go, you'll have to look for the uh, Frito Pie and maybe you'll decide to try it or maybe you'll pass. I don't know. I'm sure I'll try it because I'll try anything for at least a taste, but that sounds interesting. <laughs> 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 Interesting is the right is the yes. right, right phrase. Uh, so tell me about uh, tell me about the what was it called again? It's called um, the Bisco Cheeto, but there are different names for it. It's one of those. It's a New Mexico cookie, and I was at the um, International Folk Art Market, which I visited on this trip, which is really cool. Artists from around the world descending on Santa Fe for this special fair. And uh, I was walking around and it wasn't on my itinerary or agenda, but I ran into the woman whose family has this little cookie empire. Her name's Selena. And they had this big sign up and it was talking about try Selena's Bisco Cheetos. It's the official state cookie of New Mexico. And I thought, how did I not know about this? <laughs> Mexico has an official <laughs> state cookie. Um, and beautiful. It has been, she said, since 1989, and they even um, passed a bill about it or something. So they rallied to to get this cookie um, designated. And it was fantastic. I brought a bunch to bring back as gifts for people. But it has this, um, it's made with anise seed, cinnamon, and brandy, and some other components. But, and, you know, you can make them in different ways. And then a lot of them are flavored with, like, chives or spicy things. And so you, you know, you've a oh, jalapeno, you've got all these different types of Bisco Cheetos, um, but they're light. They're, they're like, they look almost like a shortbread cookie potentially, and they're small. Um, but the recipes go back to 
I think she was saying like the 1600s and came over from the Spaniards coming to New Mexico and recipes are usually handed down um, for these different types of Biscochitos you can try from generation to generation. So her family has been making Biscochitos for a while. And obviously they're very passionate about it because they got it designated as New Mexico state cookie. Um, But she was, yeah, she was telling me that in different parts of New Mexico, they call them different things. So they were calling them Biscochitos, but there's a slightly different pronunciation maybe in Southern New Mexico. um, And people always dispute the way to say it. So yeah, I was trying like different red chili. There was even like a chocolate chip, a green chili, and they were fantastic. So look out for those when you're traveling to New Mexico, unlike your Frito pie. It's actually really yes. <laughs> <laughs> So that sounds amazing. And it doesn't have anything to do with the snack food Cheetos. I know, I, right? I, When you said Bisco Cheetos, I'm like, wait a minute, there's Cheetos in this cookie? That sounds like the Frito-Lay company has a stranglehold on Santa Fe. But no, it's something totally different. And it sounds amazing with the uh, with the different spices and stuff in it, the different herbs. Oh, really tasty. I, now I got it. Really I know. Yeah. Gosh, it makes me want to eat all of this stuff right now again. And now I don't have access <laughs> to it because I've never seen them outside of New Mexico. I feel like they should get on gold belly or something and sell it around because maybe they are. I have to check um, because those were really good. Let's move east to Delaware because we talked about the beer in Santa Fe. Delaware is completely underappreciated as a beer capital. Um, We used to, when we lived on the East Coast, we used to go down to uh, Rehoboth Beach because that's where Dogfish Head is headquartered and they've got a great uh, brewery tour that you can do there. And Rehoboth Beach has kind of turned into this little foodie mecca. They've got some really top quality restaurants. But you went you went into the northern part. This is a, I don't know, maybe an hour, hour and a half south in Delaware. You're, you were up in the northern part of Delaware, kind of outside of Philly, an area that I'm not super familiar with. Um, tell me about going to Delaware. What made you want to uh, make Delaware part of this season? I'm trying to get to all 50 states as part of the show. Um, oh, good. Yeah. So I'm trying, we've done a lot of U.S. locations and I've been to some places many, you know, more than once. I've been in New Mexico a lot. I've been to California a number of times, even New York state. Um, Delaware had not visited yet and had it on the list. So yeah, this year going to get to Pennsylvania, hopefully Rhode Island. I mean, I'm trying to cover the U.S. So um, Delaware was definitely on the list. And I think a lot of people will be surprised by this episode because people don't necessarily, you know, have it as their number one travel location, Wilmington, Delaware, but that within Wilmington and around the area, I did cycling. I went to historic homes. I went to the DuPont, the different DuPont estates. There are a number of them that you can visit. I went to try um, Barada Pop-Tarts in downtown Wilmington at Bardea, which is a James Beard Award nominated restaurant. And I went to a wonderful um, little place near one of the DuPont estates, women-owned, that has amazing croissants. So I was surprised by the different food and drink options, but I did try a number of different beers in Delaware. Wilmington Brew Works is really interesting right downtown, and they make a a fun Biden beer inspired by... Mm -hmm. 
Joe Biden, who's from the area, his trips on the train riding Amtrak to go to Washington, D.C. They have a beer in his honor. Um, if you're going to visit the DuPont estates, one of them is Hagley that I would recommend visiting. And they make a special beer that comes from, they use fruit from the orchards that are historic over at Hagley Estate. So you've got DuPont estate fruit in the beer to make it truly local there at Wilmington Brew Works. And that one, you know, had all this like tasted like cherries and um, black pepper and different things. So very tart but very, very cool to try and think about, oh, I'm trying, you know, a beer that's made with the, you know, fruit from an orchard that's, you know, been around for a very long time over at this DuPont estate. So I really liked Wilmington and thought, oh, wow, um, so much, so much here that I didn't know about um, discovering. And it's really accessible for me in New York City. And then also people in Washington, D.C., if you're looking for a quick kind of weekend or day trip. And I think the Delaware is totally under the radar, underappreciated, but man, the beaches themselves are world-class and there's great food in Delaware too. You were telling me about having a giant shepherd's pie at Jessup's Tavern. Um, what, what was Jessup's Tavern like? Because this sounded totally like a place that would be right up my alley. I'm actually seeking out historic restaurants and bars right now. I'm doing a lot of shows that have history component. And I think it's so neat when you can go somewhere that's housed in a historic building or has been around for hundreds of years. And Jessup's Tavern is one of those. It gives you that colonial dining experience. People are dressed up that work there as if it's colonial um, times. It's in a, you're at a historic ordinary. And they've got 200 or so types of Belgian beer because back in the colonial days in that area, and this is in Newcastle, which is just a few minutes outside of Wilmington. It's a smaller, smaller little town um, with a lot of historic homes you can visit. And the architecture there is really cool. But during the colonial times, they imported a lot of different beers to this area. So you are, again, stepping back in time and drinking as they would have back in the colonial days. But I was thought looking at the menu and thought, what can I order? That's almost like a comfort food. And what, what might I have had back in the day? What type of dishes they had a number of things that, you know, you could have eaten back in colonial times, but I did look and say, Oh, I'm going to have the shepherd's pie in this kind of pub setting. It seems like it fits. And it came out. It was huge, Brent. It was the size of my head. <laughs> it was, real- <laughs> yes, it was like the gâteau à la broche that I had in, in Bordeaux <laughs> in this season, which was, just one of those things you look at and you're saying, wow, that's huge. It's one of these very, you can photograph it and your friends and family will say, I don't know who would eat all that. You definitely need to share it among <laughs> friends. Um, but Jessup's Tavern is in this old 350 year old building. So you do feel like you're stepping back in time and it's modeled after the ordinaries. And those were places that people could have stopped when they were traveling back in the day and they could get a, very specific set price for their meal, their drinks, and their nightly lodging. So kind of a fun concept to to combine history and food and drink together in one location. Yeah, definitely sounds like my kind of place. Um, I'm so glad to hear, Darlie, that you're planning a trip to uh, Rhode Island or you're thinking about going to Rhode Island, a place I lived for two decades. My girlfriend from Rhode Island. Oh. 
And when you go, um, hit me up because I'm going to I'm going to set you up. You talk about historical places. Man, there's a lot of them in Rhode Island. And one of them that springs to mind immediately is the White Horse Tavern in Newport, which is that dates to like the 1600s. Yeah, Yeah. it should be. It's 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 pretty cool. And there's a lot of other great historic places, too. So uh, hit me up and we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit before you go there. Definitely. Um, Let's go to Canada. I've talked about this on the podcast. Uh, I'm kind of obsessed with Canada because I went I went there as a little kid, but I haven't been back and I've intended to go time and time again and it just hasn't worked out. You did an episode on Quebec and I think for a lot of folks when they think about going to Canada, it's Toronto or Vancouver, maybe Montreal, but Quebec doesn't make it to the top of their list. And I think it should. All the videos I see makes me really, really, really want to go to Quebec. Um, talk a little bit about your experience in Quebec, Darlie. So that's my third visit to Quebec. And I think there's a lot you can do in all all the different seasons. I did. I've been in the winter and I've you know gone to Montreal and gone skiing and dog sledding. I really want to go back and go to the Ice Hotel outside of Quebec City, but I haven't made it there yet. But I was in in Quebec City for the New France Festival, which is the beginning of August. And it's this um, annual festival where people dress up as as if we're in Quebec City back um, during the time when it was considered New France. And there's a lot of wonderful history and live music going on. And it's just visually fun, but also really great options, not just in Quebec City for food, but outside of Quebec City. I mean, I did a foodie tour in Montreal and I went and tried Montreal bagels. I went and had um, street side gnocchi that was only five dollars. A lot of interesting food options there. But when you go to Quebec, you have to try the poutine. I think it's on most people's lists. And I was taste testing it as I went through. I did try some good poutine at a place called La Bouche, which is a quirky kind of restaurant in old Quebec City. And they have these funky interiors. They have this um, sort of table of ice where you can take maple taffy and they you can make yourself a little like iced maple syrup dessert where they pour taffy over the ice and you swirl it onto a stick, almost like a popsicle of maple taffy. And it comes out kind of oh. like, oh, it's really good. It comes out icy and it's just a fun little thing to do when you're visiting. But they have great poutine at that restaurant. And then I would also say, if you want uh, a little excursion to an area of Quebec that might be, it's visited by a lot of people in Vermont because it's it's not far over the border. But I went to the Eastern Townships and I'm, I'm there on this beautiful lake at Manoir Hove, which is a resort that's often ranked as one of the top in Canada, if not the world. Um, the Clintons go there. Mystery writer Louise Penny frequents this destination to write a lot of her books, which is kind of fun. Um, but that was the best poutine that I tried on my trip was at their restaurant. I was pairing it with, of course, a local IPA and a wonderful dessert. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting because, again, the products they were using to make the poutine were hyper local. So they were local cheese curds. And also, and if you know poutine, it's it's French fries with cheese curds and gravy. But the gravy that they they created for this particular poutine was made with birch syrup from the birch trees that were right there on the property. So it doesn't get any, oh, more, wow. yeah, it doesn't get any more local than that, but it was, I thought, wow, how is this going to be with birch syrup? I'd never tried birch syrup before. 
it was fantastic. So you might even want to just go there if you're in that area, make a little day trip excursion or go for lunch um, or dinner and try the poutine at Manoir Jove because it was really good. You certainly haven't diminished my desire to go to uh, Quebec and uh, Canada. So put that put that on the list near the top. We're going to have to get there at some point, me and my girlfriend. Um before I let you go, Darley, I did want to talk about an episode that you did in uh, Turkey A. Um, now, I had to look this up because, you know, for forever, this country was known as Turkey. And I know that they're calling it now Turkey A, um, but I didn't know how long that had been going on. It's less than two years uh, that they now call it Turkey A. Mm-hmm. The United Nations recognizes this is the name that we're supposed to call it. So, um, you know. Their country, call it call it what you want. I just found it interesting that it's been less than two years now. It's called Turkey A. And so you visited Turkey A. And I know I told you this the last time I had you on, Darley, that I just, I'm always impressed by your uh, cinematography of your show. And this episode especially, I thought, looked absolutely stunning because of your Cappadocia hot air balloon ride. Um, the photography on that was spectacular. You must have had a blast doing that. It was better than I thought. So, so <laughs> there were so many cool things, but waking up at, I think I was up at 4am to do the hot air balloon ride was pretty phenomenal. The landscapes in Cappadocia are stunning and very unusual. They have these different rock formations that um, reminded me of some of the great parks that we have in the American West, but much, much, much greater history as far as um, great history, as far as, you know, there are monasteries carved out of these rocks, there are underground cities. I was able to visit an underground city, but, but if you get up in the morning and do the hot air balloon ride, you get to sail over these landscapes and you really see the villages there's wine in Cappadocia. It's actually pretty popular mm. winemaking. A lot of families make their own wine. Um, and a lot of families also make a local jam called Pekmez, which is kind of interesting. It's like almost like a, to me, like a molasses syrup, but you can spread it on your bread in the morning for breakfast. And a lot of the breads are so good because they come out of these local ovens within the villages. Ooh, the food is great in Cappadocia and in Turkey in general. So I definitely recommend a trip, but there were so many people out for the hot air balloon rides. I mean, it was like um, a city of balloons going up at one time. So in a way, when I first got there, I thought, oh, this is going to be a super touristy experience. And there were a number of people in my balloon, but it was fantastic. And the operator that we went out with, that was the smoothest landing. He literally landed the balloon on a truck bed at the end. <laughs> I was shocked. Oh my God. Yeah. They wow. were, these were skilled hot air balloon folks. Uh, but it, it's really magical to go over those landscapes in the morning when the sun's coming up. And I definitely recommend that experience. A lot of people are doing it, but a lot of people are doing it for a reason. So definitely add it to your list. And the thing you have to keep in mind, though, is that the balloons don't aren't always able to go out in the morning. It's very weather dependent. So we lucked out the morning that we did have it scheduled. We were able to take off, no problem. Um, so we lucked out to be able to make this experience work because I had been before to Cappadocia and wasn't able to do the hot air ballooning at that point. So I was really excited to be able to go on this trip. Oh, what good fortune you had. 
Turkey A is well known for olive oil, olive and olive oil production. And um, what what did you find out about uh, olives and olive oil while you were in Turkey A this time? You know, I hadn't necessarily associated. I associate olive oil with Italy and Spain. Um, and a lot of people don't associate it with Spain, but there's a lot of olive oil and olive oil production coming out of Spain. Um, so oh, it sure is. Yeah. And Turkey as well. Uh, I went down to the Aegean coast and I started out in Izmir, which is the third largest city in Turkey. And if you're going out of Izmir, there's um, a route you can follow called the Erla wine route. And there's a wonderful restaurant, um, Ald Erla, which is, I would definitely recommend you stopping at to try olive oil there. But I also went to the Kolstem Olive Oil Museum and Factory. And it's supposedly the largest olive oil museum in the world. It was started by a physician who really believes in the health benefits of olive oil. And he's trying to spread the messaging to multiple generations, including young people, that we should be having olive oil for our health. And if you go through this museum, they have artifacts uh, related to the history of olive oil making in, from different archaeological sites in Turkey. Um, there was a 1,000-year-old olive oil tree trunk, and the woman who was guiding me through was kind of laughing and saying, oh, if you um, have olive oil, you can live to be 1,000 years old. And I thought, well, I don't want to live that to be that old. But I do appreciate <laughs> olive oil. And actually, I think it's really fun because I did olive oil tasting when I was in Spain, for instance, and it was similar here in Turkey A, where you kind of have these small glass cups that they put olive oil into and you cup it in your hand to heat it up a little bit and you smell it just like you're smelling wine and then you taste it and there's a whole process to it. And you just take little sips of it and you think, oh, that's so strange to just be drinking olive oil. But first of all, it's good for you and you're not going to drink that much. And second of all, um, it, you know, it does really, if you have it on its own, you pick up, you know, the leaves of grass flavors and um, maybe like a slight even burn to the olive oil, which supposedly if it burns a little bit, it's a, it's a better olive oil. So I learned a lot about uh, olive oil at this museum and and place where they have 14,000 olive trees right there on a farm. So it's definitely a, a good place to to dive into this specific product. Darlie, whenever I have someone on the show and talk about Turkey A, I always want to talk about Turkish coffee because even though I've never been to Turkey A, I'm kind of a big Turkish coffee fan. Um and how how did you find Turkish coffee? Did you do you enjoy it or is it too strong for you? What what's your opinion? So it can be really strong, I find. Um there's a whole mythology or legend or thing around when you finish a cup and there are the grains in the bottom. There's a whole thing around that. But I I thought it was I thought it was good, but again, you have to be ready for that caffeine jolt. But you'll find that you're offered Turkish coffee in a lot of different locations and it is polite to try it. And the guide that I had, Olvi, we went to this small village in Cappadocia called Mustafa Pasa. And this village has a lot of architecture that is Greek influenced and is a wonderful little side step to get out of the crowds. It does get crowded there because tour buses come in. But if you go early in the morning, like I did, I sat in the village square and it was all locals having coffee and tea. Uh, so I thought that was really cool to be able to have my coffee out with 
true local people. Um, and Ulvi was telling me they have a saying that if you drink coffee with someone together, you owe that person 40 years of friendship. Now, I don't know why 40 years specifically still, and I don't think Ulvi did either, but it is a saying that coffee unites you and it is it, Turkish coffee is a thing. Like you, you can share it with someone and you do feel, I do feel like I had this bond with Ulvi that was stronger after we had our coffee together. Maybe it's just because we were able to sit together in this neat location that was where the locals were having their coffee and trying this. But it, it's something that you definitely have to have on your list if you're traveling to Turkey. Eh? I love that idea, Darley, that, you know, because having a coffee can be such a great social experience in in the U.S. You know, we go to the drive through and we grab our coffee and we put it in our cup holder and we drive to work um, in Italy. Even though the coffee is spectacular in Italy, a lot of times it's like you go to the cafe and you you're standing up and you and you throw it down. Although it can be a social, here in Portugal, they have a the way the way it's described is you don't say you want to go for a coffee, you say you want to take a coffee, and yeah. that can mean that can mean sitting down for an hour, two hours, just with one little tiny cup of a Portuguese espresso and just visiting with someone in a cafe. And it's just, it's delightful. And I'm so happy to hear about that similar kind of tradition when you're in Turkey and 40 years of friendship. I think that's a great way to end this episode, in fact. So uh, here's to 40 years of friendship, Darley. Thanks for being on the show and um, congratulations on the new season. We will have links to your website and to all the stuff that you talked about in the show notes so that people can find you and look for the new season of Travels with Darley on your local PBS station. Thank you so much, Brent. Yeah, I'm excited about it's our 10th season. So pretty epic and lots of great experiences that are very unique that you can discover through these episodes. Okay, there you go. You know, I don't know if I've ever heard of a better ritual than the 40 years of friendship over a cup of coffee in Turkaye. I'm so glad Darley shared that with us. The latest season of Travels with Darley is airing now on PBS. Check your local listings. I've got links to Darley and the places she talked about in the show notes. Get that at radiomisfits.com slash DED215. Well, that's a wrap on this week's show. Next week, Samantha Brown is here to talk about huckleberry mules and what to pair with bison pho. Until then... Get over to DestinationEatDrink.com. I just posted a story about a great side trip from Lisbon. It's the Clues Palace. Everyone knows about Sintra and the Pina Palace near Lisbon, but this palace, to me, it's equally amazing. And I've got the story at DestinationEatDrink.com slash Clues. That's Q-U-E-L-U-Z or just go to DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. And if you like listening to Destination Eat Drink, be sure to rate and review us on your podcast app. Thanks so much for that. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and a guy who's been spiking his coffee with scotch for 40 years, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.